Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are going to talk about profit with purpose. I'm so excited about this topic. Yeah, this is a, a, a really great idea sent in by uh, a subscriber on my mailing list uh, in response to a Ditcherville comic I wrote two weeks ago where the the focus of the comic was really around defining the term expensive problem and calling out that there's a difference between huge problems and expensive problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suspected that some people would not get it because if they weren't familiar with my all of my, you know, rattling on about laser focused positioning statements and discipline target market expensive problem unique difference and all of this stuff that they'd be like, well, wait a second, like global warming's a huge problem and it's going to probably cause people trillions of dollars, if not life and limbs. So how can you say this? You know, are you a climate denier and stuff like that? And I was like, I'll probably get some mail like that. And I did. Uh, and, and one person, uh, had a really, really good kind of question, like the, the email, you know, I'm not going to read it or anything. It was long, but, uh, it was really thoughtful, which I always appreciate. And I wrote a big response back to him. And then I did a version of that for my mailing list. So if, if people wanted to go to my website, they you could read the whole, the whole answer about it. But really what it really, it boils down to is he ended up with a question around the, you know, for folks who are his age and younger, you know, he, he, I think was identifying as like Gen Z uh, or millennial. And he was like, you know, for folks who have probably have the majority of their years past the 2040 collapse of society that's predicted, <laughs> um, you know, like what, how, how are we supposed to be spending our lives? Like the, the idea. So like, let's say that, let's say that doom is on the horizon and it's going to hit you when you're 40, you know, like, should you really be uh, chasing the almighty dollar? You know, that sort of like old, you know, profit maximization capitalist approach, which is still alive and well. I mean, like watch mm-hmm. any, you know, go on any like business oriented YouTube video. And it's a, it's all about, it's all about the, you know, the private jet and the, you know, all that stuff. There's still oh, yeah. tons of that. And so I, you know, it, so what do you do? You know, so like, how do you, is it, is it a choice between being broke, but fighting the good fight, you know, so like ignoring profits and, and fighting global warming 24 seven or on one end or on the other end, this greedy profit maximizing business person who's screwing their customers, you know, are those and, the only choices? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like, obviously yeah. those are not the only choices. Yeah. So yeah. There are a couple of assumptions that I like to bring to this, though, is that we're not talking about a nonprofit. We're not talking about a hobby. We're talking about a business. Correct. So if if you have chosen to start a business to for whatever reason, and you're wrestling this question of like purpose versus profit, you have to have some profit. You got to eat. You got to you got to fund the mission, as we say. You got to come mm-hmm. be able to to come back tomorrow and keep fighting the good fight. So that is going to involve profit. And I know I've been listening to some really interesting stuff lately that will surely come out on future episodes about the historical and religious attitudes around business. And I'm like, hmm, so that's where that comes from. Because <laughs> I, I talk to a lot of people that they don't, I don't think they say it on the surface level, but they, they see um, profit as evil, like full stop. Yeah. Yeah. Money is the root of all evil is something some people are taught from birth. 
Right. And that is not the exact quote, by the way, but okay. Um, but yes, that a is... A variation of that. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I think it's love of money is the root of all evil. So uh, if... Anyway, so so like right off the bat, if you're listening to this and you believe the prophet is evil, then we're going to have a problem. <laughs> because if you're running a business and you don't have any profit, then you're not going to be running a business anymore. So maybe maybe don't run a business. That's fine. You can make no profit at a job or no profit at a nonprofit or no profit at a hobby. Um, but that like that's a fundamental core. If that's a core value, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't share it, but I'm not saying it's wrong. So if you don't want profit, then I don't know if I don't think this episode's going to help. I think I think the I think if you have a business, you have to have some profit. So you need to be comfortable with the concept in the first place. Then the the big the issue is how much. So as long, assuming you're comfortable with some profit, the question is how much. And I am I am surely if any longtime listeners know me personally. I have no interest in maximizing my profit. I want to work less mm -hmm. so that I, you know, uh, but I still, but, and I have this mission, which you could call a revolution or a purpose or whatever to rid the world of hourly billing. I know I can't do it on my, uh, on my own. It's a huge problem, but it's not an expensive problem. Typically it's the, it's the driving directional North star compass thing that I'm following. And, uh, and then I find people along the way who have expensive problems that are caused by that giant problem. All right, yes. I feel like I'm soapboxing. So no, but I think the reason that, that is a good place to to pause is because when you think about like global warming, you mentioned before, so yeah. that's a huge problem. But so that could be your revolution, right? To yeah. reduce global warming in its simplest mm -hmm. terms. But that isn't a business yet, right? Correct. That may exactly. be the goal, mm -hmm. but you have mm -hmm. to find what's that expensive problem that's inside that that you can solve and that you want to solve. And that's where the business comes in. But there's nothing wrong with having this huge revolutionary vision. In fact, I'm going to argue it makes running your day-to-day -day business easier Agreed. to have that clear North Star guiding you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gets you through the bad days. Yeah. It, it keeps you on track. It, it helps you separate distractions from opportunities. It's, it's great. It's super, super duper useful, but it's not a business. I like the way you put that. And why isn't it a business? Because if I said, Rochelle, um, I help people solve global warming. Do you want to, want to buy some? <laughs> it's, like, it's not a product there's no, it's not a service. There's no, it's just too vague. It's, it's got the same problem as, as any soggy generalist positioning statement, which is that yeah. no one thinks it applies to them directly. It's, it's for everyone. Like it's a problem that affects everyone. And you could say it's an existential threat for the human race. So I'm not saying it's not smaller, that it won't cost trillions of dollars, but it's not a business. Well, and the way that you asked me that was like asking for charity, which is different than a business where you're, exactly. you're exchanging something of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we could get into charity, but, but this is about business. So it's like, okay, so what is that? What would that look like with the global warming example? Uh, it could be things like, oh, you know, our business helps shipping companies get uh, icebergs out of canals uh, or or uh, our business. You know, we help cryptocurrency miners go 100 percent green energy mm. like that. All of a sudden you're like, oh, hello. Can we yeah. talk? Yeah. Right, right. I get that. Yeah. And the mission, if the mission is the big picture mission is that you want to, uh, you know decrease global warming 
uh, or you know reverse climate change or something then these are these are ways that you can find people who are currently they are currently in a situation where they would write a big fat check to someone like you who's a recognized expert at this particular thing to make their problem go away or at least decrease so you could sometimes i describe it in terms of like let's say global warming is the disease it's the root cause and it produces different symptoms in different people so you could i could easily uh, have called it expensive symptoms of, an, of a much bigger underlying problem. Well, that's a good point because in my consulting experience, 9.5 times out of 10 people come to you based on symptoms. They haven't diagnosed the problem yet. They're experiencing yeah. the symptoms. Yes. And they're probably even prescribing a, a therapy and it's yes. the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which may or may not be the right solution. Yeah. It's like giving, you know, pills for a smoker's cough. It's like, no, you need to quit smoking. Like that's the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but sometimes people don't want to quit smoking. They just want the pills to stop coughing. So, um, okay. So, uh, those symptoms that crop up when I, when I'm working with someone who's like, who, who has, look, everybody's got this sort of, uh, what they would, I would say target lifestyle, I guess is a way to put it, like a certain number of hours they want to work per week, a certain lifestyle that they want to enjoy. You know, people mm -hmm. generally don't want to go back to the way they lived in college, for example. Like it's it's kind of hard to regress in your lifestyle. Uh, obviously it's doable, but it's usually not pleasant. So, you know, can I maintain my current lifestyle, uh, working less, making more or making the same, but working less if you feel overworked? So that I'll have the energy and and uh, money to come back tomorrow and have a bigger impact than I did yesterday. You know, moving submission. Yes. So you have all these constraints. It's like, all right. Uh, it, I mean, it's sort of a platitude, but it's like you need to figure out how to work smarter. And one way you can create leverage. So one way to do that is hire a bunch of people and pay them less than they make you. Uh, right. That's one approach. Another as long approach as you're is, willing to work that way to mm -hmm. lead them and manage the process. Yeah, right. You need to want yeah. to be a leader. You want to. You you like working with the team. You you know you like developing your employees. All of that stuff. Um, other there's a million other ways to create leverage. You can you know automation systems. We've talked about that uh, past couple of shows, I think. Um, but another thing, and the expensive problem connection here is another thing you can do is get people who have bigger and more and more expensive problems attract clients that have more and more expensive problems mm -hmm. so if you are um you know if you have some i don't know you create no click online ordering systems for pizza places and uh and you're currently serving like the local mom and pop pizza places in your town uh, you can charge way more money if you can attract companies like Domino's and, and I don't know, Pizza other Hut. pizza places, Pizza Hut, Papatina's, I don't know. So if you can attract larger, giant sort of corporate, or it really it just any anybody who's going to stand to magnify your intervention a hundred or a thousand times, a thousand fold downstream, then you can charge way more money for it <laughs> because they're going to get way more value out of it. So that the one of the one of the ways to grow a business, if if someone doesn't want to build a big team, is to get bigger clients because bigger clients are virtually always going to have more expensive problems. Again, an expensive problem is something that they're willing to write a big fat check to you as the expert in this kind of problem to make it go away. 
Yeah. You know, I just, I keep coming back to something that I think your, your reader articulated, which is, you know, what happens when a solopreneur substitutes for profit with for purpose? Mm-hmm. I was, I was fascinated by that question mm-hmm. because it's like straddles the line between for profits and not for profits. Mm-hmm. And I like the way it kind of makes one as a solopreneur think about how do you decide on that balance between profit and purpose? Yeah. yeah like I in the example it- you just described, we've got, we have this revolution, we figured out what the business is in this little corner, and then you're gradually working your way up the difficulty scale, if you will, to mm-hmm. find um, clients or customers with bigger problems or more expensive problems so that you mm-hmm. can work less but with fewer people. I mean, that's just one example. There's leverage opportunities, other leverage opportunities as well as you mentioned. Right. Yeah, this, the, yeah the more expensive the problem is, the bigger the company is, the more expensive the problem is and the, the fatter the check will be. <laughs> so then it comes back to this thing, which I've encountered with students where they're making, they start making they're doing the same thing. Like they feel like they're doing the exact same thing, but they're getting paid triple or 5X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, this guilt thing crops up out of Yeah, <laughs> feels very strange the first few times. Right. It's like, this is too easy. This is easy money. Like this stuff is so easy for me. I could do it in my sleep, they'll say. And I'm, and I'm like, well, if you only feel, if you only feel not guilty, norm, like what's the not guilty? If you only feel okay doing really hard work, then... What does that look like in your future? You're just always going to be doing hard work. You're dooming mm-hmm. yourself to a life of toil. If the work doesn't get easier, then why not just get a job? Like if the work doesn't get easier, the easy stuff should be the stuff you're looking for to sell because that if it delivers huge value, you know, you it's like a win for both people. Well, that's the key is the delivering huge value, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's the work can get easier um, but remember, you've got this revolution. So maybe your work's getting easier. Are you are you um, moving the needle on the revolution by doing exactly. the work you're doing? And in yeah. that scenario, it sounds like the answer would be yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see it as an either. Right. The the what happens in the question? What happens when you switch from a for profit motive to a for purpose motive? I'm like, it's not binary. It's not either or. You have to have some amount of profit. You do if you're going to run a business. It's just part of the deal. Mm-hmm. The the purpose part. I think gives you all of the other kinds of, uh, it feeds the other motivations that exist. So like, you know, I'm not going to go on a, a crypto rant right now, but, but one of the things that I find a little head scratching about a lot of conversations in the crypto space is that people act as if uh, financial motivations are the only motivations. And that is just not true. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, well, if the financial motivation exists in this way, then everyone will do this. And it's like, well, no, there are other kinds of motivations. And so the the purpose, like people do stuff all the time that that is not in their best interest financially for other reasons. There are plenty of other reasons. And one of them would be purpose. So if you're, think of it like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At the bottom, you need profit so that you can have shelter, safety, and so forth. Food, you know, let's not forget food. Yeah, um, food's good. Right. Uh, and then as you, as you, um, if you just were maximizing profit and that you spent 80 hours a week maximizing profit, you know, stomping on the little guy, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of your employees and your customers, and somehow, in spite of all that, you do manage to 
build a bigger and bigger and bigger business, more and more profits for yourself, you're, you're, it's like you're stuck at that, the bottom of the pyramid. You're not doing anything farther up the pyramid. So the purpose stuff for me is like, once you take care of enough profit to cover the bottom of the pyramid, the, the bottom one or two layers, then it starts to be about, you know, so at the very top, it's like self-actualization. And if you don't have purpose and you do have a ton of profit, I think that's a recipe for billionaires flying into space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Something like that. That's what happens. Right. Well, it's 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 almost though like you know, and and I, I know we don't actually do it this way, but it's an interesting exercise to think about. You know, there's the things that you do for profit on one side, and on the other side is there's the purpose. Why are you doing this? What is it you want to achieve in the world? Um, how much profit do you need and or want? I think it's both of those things because people have different answers to those. Mm-hmm. And I agree, it isn't binary. I think we all make decisions going back and forth between those two columns and we might make decisions at different points of our lives differently like mm-hmm. i might make a decision in my 20s differently than i would make it in my 50s you think you think yeah <laughs> i'm raising my hand <laughs> yeah yeah right so i mean yeah it's going to change over time but i think that the key the key thing is well this this touches on a lot of things that we've been talking about in the past few mm-hmm. months uh, one of them is knowing how much is enough, like how much profit is enough, you know, and, and I, I've actually, I, it's almost like a value. It's not a value. It's like a maximum, I guess, that I live by, which is that I'm super conscious. I am super careful about um, improving my lifestyle. I'm yeah. very careful. I, I yeah. have always got both feet firm, planted firmly on the brakes on that one because it never goes backwards. Exactly. So it's it's a ratchet. It always wants to go up, never wants to go down. And so when when um, for example, I got into a friend of mine back when the back when the uh, the Apple Watch was a thing. I was like super into devices, super into mobile. It was my whole job, and I had a friend that was just scoffing at it because he was a watch guy, like a mechanical watch guy. And he's and I was like. I'm like, oh, come on, this is stupid watch. They don't even keep good time. He's like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Like, you know, and so, so he, he's, I started to get sucked into the watch world and I, yeah. And I love, I love functional art. This is something that ever since I was a little kid, I love, it's really functional art. You could call it like product, like industrial design. Like I love like a, a like a bottle opener. It's like the perfect thing or like uh whatever. Yeah. I no, love I totally to, get I, it. Yeah. And so so watches are like the pinnacle of that. And I started to get sucked into it. I was reading like Hodinky every week and like and I'm like starting to tell the difference between this or that and I'm starting to say like, oh yeah, Apple Watch is kinda of, it's okay, but oof, compared to a Patek Philippe, forget about it. And so now all of a sudden <laughs> and I had I had to wean myself off of I, I had to like I'm not allowed to go to that website. I'm not allowed to get, you know, you know, like one one year for Christmas. I mentioned I put on my Christmas list because I didn't know what I wanted people to get me. And uh, I had to get rid of all that stuff because otherwise I was going to run out and drop 10 grand on a watch. And mm-hmm. that doesn't go backwards. Like it's it's uh, it's scary. Anyway, so long story that doesn't it certainly does not. <laughs> it certainly does not further my mission in any way. And 
And so, okay, so if you've got if you've got the breaks on your lifestyle and you're not just like spending everything you get all the time, then it's not impossible to be like, well, how much is enough? Like you can actually, if your right. if your lifestyle is not ever expanding, you can know how much is enough. And it's like, okay, what are the things I want to do with my money? And say, okay, like my basic bottom of the pyramid needs are this much a month. And then my, you know, whatever, saving for college or retirement, blah, 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 that adds up to this. And so that's, that's the bare minimum. And if I want to have a security net on top of that, like you can figure it out. Like your, yeah. your lifestyle doesn't just yeah. automatically grow to fill the bowl if you, if you don't let it. Well, and you avoid things like you might say, uh, our house is really nice. We like this. We don't need a bigger house or we don't need the same house in a different neighborhood. Um, exactly. We don't need a brand new Beamer this year, um, <laughs> says the woman who's, whose car is going to turn 25. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you start to make those those decisions differently. And it does. It makes you look at money, but it makes you look at your work differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you know how much is enough and and then, you know, you want to account for for sort of volatility in your cash flow. I don't, you know, I, I think it's pretty common for folks who do business like us to have like a, an insane month and then like some slow months and then like another insane month and, you know, in, insane being like super high. Like it seems to the, you know, it seems to be cyclical, at least certainly in software, like spring and fall are like, that's when all the new projects start. And in summer and winter around the holidays, you're probably not, you're probably just going to be grinding away on whatever stuff you landed in the previous season. That's um, true so for most consulting projects. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just because of vacations, you can't get the decision makers in a room in the summer and on the holidays. Well, so, and people are motivated when they come back after the first of the year mm -hmm. and when the kids go back to school. Okay, right, let's get right. things done before Christmas. Right. It's like, oh, I haven't done anything in a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Summer's a blur. Okay, so so you can figure out how much is enough plus some cushion. You know, you've got some runway or whatever banked up. Um, and then after that, then you're like, okay, so food, water, shelter, covered. It's covered. Uh, what can I do to increase my impact? Well, what, what impact am I trying to have? Okay, uh, I'm trying to reduce the effects of global warming or I'm trying to rid the world of hourly billing or whatever. It's like, okay, what can I do? It gives you time to breathe. You can like, it, you can stop, take stock of how things have been going, maybe what new opportunities are available, think strategically and say, okay, for the next year, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on chipping away at this particular piece because I think mm -hmm. it'll, it'll increase the impact and not, not negatively affect the amount of profit I need to continue without feeling like I'm drowning or whatever. So it's super important. Like I, um, I just see them, I don't see them as competing whatsoever. I think I just see them on two different levels. And I think the problem, I think the thing that gives profit a bad name is people who don't have both levels and they just, they're just like, I don't know, I guess just like more is better. Like always more. Yeah. You know, and as, well, as Ron Baker says, that's the, that's the um, ideology of the cancer cell. You know, it's like always more. It's like, don't be growing constantly. It's like have bigger impact constantly, but that doesn't mean you need to grow your business. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a problem, especially in the U.S. It's a psychology that we buy into that we must grow, we must constantly be moving or we die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
although I, I, I have to confess, I do like keeping moving, but more from the standpoint of how I'm thinking and visioning what's next, right? In yeah. that sense, I don't want to get static. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a challenge. And if you, if, if you spend any time on YouTube, um, forget the, uh, let me show you my Lamborghini videos, but just the, the business ones that are all about hack this, make more, do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't yeah. watch those. Yeah. Right. Toward what end, right? It's all about, yeah. um, here's, here's, okay. A couple of things. So like when I was that age, I was, you know, th that was the sort of era when I lived in a van, uh, when I shared a, a, a house with like five stinky guys. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just like I had one pair of shoes. Uh, I didn't eat on the weekends because it wasn't part of my food plan in college and, you know, stuff like that. So for some some boomer to come along, you know, some gray haired guy like me to come along and be like, Oh, do you, you just need to decide how much is enough. It's like, screw you. I'm deciding between <laughs> guitar strings, strings and a loaf of bread, you know? So like, I totally get that. And there's like a point where you're, you're not, um, there's a point where you're just barely getting by where this is surely all falling on deaf ears. Like person probably already stopped the the podcast yeah it's like you know because you can't imagine a point where you've got choices like that you're just like scrambling borrowing from peter to pay paul and it's just like this this can't be true like none of this can exist like it's this is all um either i don't know it came unfairly like or, or whatever it's like oh it's easy for you yeah. you're famous it's like well i wasn't always yeah like, get well known like step one get well known <laughs> for what <laughs> your mission your revolution right. Right. You Do know, something well that matters. Yeah, something that matters other than enriching yourself. See, that's that's the funny thing about this hack your life, you know, hack your way to success thing. It's yeah. so transparent. It's so transparently selfish that it kind of surprises me if it ever works. It doesn't seem it seems like the kind of thing that maybe if it did work, it still is going to fail in like a year. Yeah, I think it can work temporarily if you've got, you know, the right audience, um, you know, fools <laughs> It can work. I mean, there's always you can always take advantage of somebody, right? Mm. There's always somebody to do that, but it's not a long term strategy and certainly right. not one anybody I know would be doing. Right, right. So what is what does it boil down to? OK, so it it boils down to, I guess knowing how much profit is enough, knowing what your mission is, and it, for me anyway, and, and then figuring out within the mission, how can I get that enough degree of profit? Like how, how do I get enough somewhere in that realm of the, the giant existential threat problem? Where's the business in there? Like what is the business in there? Which for me, it's like finding an expensive problem. So you're going to find you know, you're going to find some company that is maybe aligned with your mission or maybe maybe experiencing a really expensive symptom of that problem. And so you you come along with your expertise. You're the go to person in the space for this particular thing, like like solar powered crypto mining. And, you know, is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> OK, there should be more of it. I mean, it, it will be a thing because there's a I, huge I financial so. incentive. Yeah, yeah, because they're eating energy like crazy. Right. Right. So it creates a financial incentive to figure out ways to not not do that. It's too it's too expensive, right? It's like cuts right. into your profits. So anyway. Um 
so where's the business? So inside of the, like, where's the business that covers, I, I guess it's look, you're looking for that sweet spot between um, a thing that, that will increase your impact in this area that you want to have an impact, but also there's overlap that it also will give you enough money so that you can fund that mission and keep coming back tomorrow to do it some more. And maybe well, more, let me add more, one more. more piece to that, which is that it basically feeds your talents and passions, right? Because mm-hmm. let's call it your genius zone. It, mm-hmm. Because that's what's going to make this sustainable is that you've got purpose. There's, there's enough profit, however you describe that, and you're using the best parts of you. You're not mm-hmm. using you know, a skill that eh, you're not really that great at or that you don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So your example, you know, of like doing mergers, you know, you're like, you're great at it. It's, it's in the talent category, but you're like, ugh, passion wise, no thank you. Yeah. Done. So, and I, I find, God, it's funny. I was about to say, I was about to say, when I talk to people, they almost always know what their talents are. Sometimes they know what their passions are and they almost never know what the market is. So, (laughs) but at the same time, a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of people that I talk to, they would put, uh, they wouldn't list everything and probably wouldn't even list the most important things in the talent bubble. Like they forget the really, the real superpowers, you know, because it'd be like asking they think Superman. everybody does that. Like when right. something comes so naturally to you, you think, oh, well, that's not valuable. Everybody does that. But they right. don't. And value is not even in that circle. So like, like, it's like, what is the stuff that you're superhuman at? You know, the mm-hmm. stuff you could just do all day long, like take apart matchbox cars and like look at the inner workings or like, or like, you know, like it'd be like Superman not putting flying in that category. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, it's so easy. It's not a talent. It's just something I can do. It's like, no, dude, you can fly. <laughs> <laughs> Great example. Right. But he's not passionate about it, maybe. Let's just say. So, so right. in, the, the, in the passions column, I always use drumming. I love drumming and stink at it, but I could do it like for hours but i'm awful Mm. (laughs) so (laughs) nobody's gonna pay you no but i could i'll do it for free you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. so if you find this this thing so you a lot of times the easiest overlap is to when you're you know when i'm talking to someone you can usually uncover a few more superpowers in that talent bubble and then in, in the passion bubble um they usually again there's no there's no profit motive in the passion bubble but they usually can't detach that so it'd be like, what do you, what do you love? And they'd be like, well, I don't love, I don't love anything. I just love coding. And it's like, I know that's not true. You know, there's no way that's true. And, and they say, well, I love, I love helping libraries, but there's no money in that. I'm like, and we're not talking about making money yet. That's the market bubble. <laughs> so, so you kind of have to like divorce the, 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 the buying power of the, or the, or the apparent lack of a target market from the passion bubble. So like, what do you like? What floats your boat? You know, like what things, hot list hobbies, something, anything, sports, activities, anything, and get all that stuff. Maybe you do it differently, but this is how I do it. And and then it's like, okay, we, let's find an overlap between those two circles. And then, and then now I'm thinking expensive problem. Like the stuff that's in that genius zone, who is experiencing an expensive problem that somebody like you, uniquely like you, could uh, credibly solve? Mm-hmm. And then focus on that. You know, that's that's almost always the hardest part is like, okay, what do you love that you're awesome at? And then now what problem, what expensive problem will that solve in some market? So like, let's go find a market where there's a major problem. 
Well, and that's that's always the challenge. I shouldn't say always. Right. It's often the challenge. A lot of times people come to me and they already know what market they're in. They know who their contacts are. They know what they do. But what they haven't been able to do is figure out how to focus it in to really mm-hmm. target into that exact person who mm-hmm. needs them and that yep. exact situation. Because, you know... People think about it generally. Oh, I want people like this. I don't want to narrow my market. That would reduce my opportunities. And especially when you have soloists um, selling into Fortune 500 companies, you better be darn clear about Mm -hmm. your selling proposition. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we have talked about the, the three circle thing. I think it was right before or right alongside your book launch. So maybe we could put a, 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 a link in the show notes that directs folks to that episode if you're looking for an exercise, you know, or just buy Rochelle's book. Because <laughs> <laughs> that has a bunch of exercises That's in an the option. workbook. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the, I mean, the big takeaway is like, they're just not mutually exclusive. You know, it's just not. You can have both. And there's, I mean, I don't know if, do you know about B Corps? Like, I don't. I've been hearing about B Corps, but I feel like B Corps are the 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 blend, the thing in between for profits and for purpose or non profits and for profits. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's something to look into, I, but yeah, I don't understand all of the details, but they do make a public commitment mm-hmm. about how they're going to use profits to benefit society, the world, yeah. the planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if people are listening to that, maybe that's something to look into. And it sounds like neither one of us know much about it, but. Um, that might be a structure that works, that, that gives you some structure to help you kind of navigate the the profit purpose balance. But uh, yeah, I just think they yeah. they help each other. I don't think they I don't see them uh, as two ends of a of the same spectrum. Like I have to make less profit in order to further my purpose. Now they're intertwined, and I have yet to meet any two people who intertwine them in the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the, um, my very early clients was a coach and the way that she figured out how to charge for her services was she figured out how much she needed to live on. She was a single mom with a daughter and they were, uh, they had free housing that a family member had given them. So there was no money for housing. She had it all figured out. And then she divided that number by 40 hours a week. In 50 hours a year, she came up with some like, I'm not even sure it was a double digit hourly rate. (laughs) It might have been $9.25, something, some crazy number like that. And, you know, I had to back her out of that to show her that, first of all, that's not the only way you come up with what you charge is what you need. It's what the Mm -hmm. marketplace needs and the value they put on it. But it it was a completely different way. That was someone who thought all about the purpose and said, I only need just enough to get through the day. The mm-hmm. important thing is that people who need my services will get them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like non-for-profit thinking in one individual business. Yeah. Okay. There's a million problems with that. And I'm glad to hear that you backed her out of that thinking. <laughs> yeah. You think? But Yeah. But um, one of the things that you notice, I notice with hourly is that people have close to zero profit and they never think like they think like well no I'm, I'm getting like 200 bucks an hour it's all profit it's like no it's not if you had to pay someone as good as you to do the project mm-hmm. how much would you be left over that's the profit zero zero pretty close to zero yeah um so 
but people are like, well, I, but I'm making a good living. You know, it's like, yeah, but you have no profit. So you have no, what that means is that the system has no slack in it. There's no resilience, which is where the, 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 the terror in the famine cycle comes from. So like you can have, I said earlier, like, like most people do have kind of a feast famine cycle. Like there are spikes in the spring and, and fall, of like new business. But if you have profit, you don't care. It's like, you know, cause you still right. got money left over from the, the really big month. And like, you know, it's going to carry you through the summer or through the holidays or whatever, because you had profit on, you know, you've got a lot of profit built into those so that your cash flow doesn't become a problem. So, and, and here's the thing, like if you are running so close to your enough, you know, if you're running at almost zero profit, you, I'm sure everybody's had the experience at one time in their life where your life gets super complicated because you have got no shock absorber. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you're like, you're like, okay, that check's going to get cash probably by this date. So I need to move money from my savings into there. And then you're like spending an hour a day shuffling stuff around. It's like, Ugh. it's like leaving late for something and the experience of driving, you know, driving the kids to karate if I leave late versus if I leave five minutes early. It's like dramatically yeah. different experience. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing when you've got no cushion financially because you've got no profit. All the money is going straight out the door. It's like in one hand, out the other. For whatever reason, you could be making more every year, but if your lifestyle is growing to fill the bowl, then it's just like, it, it's just passing through. And then the the energy that you should be using on your mission or your purpose or your, your revolution is getting your your emotional energy, your stress levels, they're all unnecessarily maxed out because you're dealing with like moving money around to cover, you know, you're floating checks and moving money around to cover them. And it's like, ugh. Well, I mean, you're also not building a business in that scenario. You're, you're selling your time. Yeah, exactly. Building, yeah, building a business is a different mindset and you're building an asset. Even right, if think, you're not, if, even if you never sell it or you have no plans to sell it, you're creating something that is an asset. Yeah. So let's look at it like, yeah, that's a great point. Look at it like this. Everybody's going to die. So do you want your business to continue fighting the good fight after you're gone or not? Because if you're just yeah. trading time for money, it's not like you've built nothing. You maybe had a great lavish lifestyle and maybe you made an impact, but it's automatically going to have this expiration date on it. So if you really, if you really cared about the mission, you'd find a way to create this engine that you could leave behind that would continue doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's just not going to happen. If, if it's not producing profit and it's like highly leveraged and through either hiring or procedures or automation or uh value pricing, you know, basing mm-hmm. your, your fees on what it's worth to the buyer instead of what it costs you to deliver. If you don't do that, then it's, you know, what impact have you really made long term? Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between a small impact and a potentially very, very large one. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not just about the money, you know, it's about impact. It's about your footprint. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so on that cheerful note. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I have to die now. I was like, how depressing is this? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. So just, yeah, I just wanted to kind of like drill sergeant that point home. Yeah. Inject a little happiness into our day. Thank you yeah. so much. I should probably actually edit that out because I know some people listen with their kids in the car. <laughs> oh, touche, touche. Yes. Um, okay, folks. Is there? A, do, do we have any other 
Any other points to make about this? I'm thinking. No. All right. I don't think I do. Speechless. <laughs> I know. And that never happens, as my husband will attest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.